Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'll be your host for today. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Janet. Hello. And by longtime restarter for us. Hey. Welcome back for us. Thanks. So today we'll be talking about a recent restart party in a very new location that we hadn't been to before and try to learn more about some difficult repairs and a bit about the future of repair. So you guys both attended the repair event um, in Wembley on, at the weekend. Yep. So it was very near Wembley Stadium, which for us has uh, an important meaning, Janet. Yeah, it's one of those statistics that is, it's actually quite used um, universally to describe the dimension of electronic waste generated in the UK. So um, at this point, it's well over six Wembley stadiums full of electronics that we discard every year in the UK. Um, and only two of those stadiums are recycled properly. Two of them end up in landfill, just literally thrown in the landfill. So Wembley Stadium is kind of iconic because it helps us, even though we don't really have a notion for how big it is, it still helps us, it, it helps us a little bit to, get, to grasp how big the electronic waste problem is. And in the shade of Wembley Stadium, there is a centre where a restart party was finally held uh, on Saturday. Uh, for us, they were quite busy during the event. Yeah, so um, I didn't actually get to do many repairs. Like uh, it was, I was only focused on that one. But it was a quite a lengthy um, repair of an Xbox 360. Right, and uh, from pictures I've seen, you had to take this device completely apart. Yeah, yeah. It's funny actually. The 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 trickiest bit is to actually get the, the plastic cover off. They've they've designed it in a way where where you need a like a special tool to open open a few of the clips at the back, which you have to press all simultaneously. So we we did our best with a, with a screwdriver and sort of wedging it open, and then sort of putting little bits of plastic inside just to just to separate it. Did it get a little damaged? I think you did say the case got slightly damaged. The, the, yeah. One of the side bits um, got damaged. We, we couldn't figure out the, the best way of unclipping it. And then we re later realized how it was uh, clipped together. Um, but we, we got a small crack on, on the, the bit of plastic underneath the hard drive. It's a sign of aging in a device that it shows that it had sort of a wrinkle that shows the passing of time. But it, the device did get fixed in the end. Yeah. Wonderful. And um, the type of fault uh, is quite an infamous one. Yeah. It has a strange, uh, daunting name, the Xbox 360's Red Ring of Death. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, so a lot of these original Xboxes, uh, Xbox 360s, they, um, they had this sort of heating problem and then uh, over a period of time it will all of them would fall into this trap where where they they have this red ring of death uh basically something in, inside uh there, there was there's not enough heat dissipation inside inside on the chips which cause it to overheat and and sh show this error 
So the user experiences that as this, um, it's literally like a lit, lit up red ring that around the, this, um, the start power, button, button, power yeah. button. Yeah. Um, this is a bit like the blue screen of death. It's yeah, referred to yeah, with PCs. So. Or the spin ball of death. Like uh, there's all these. <laughs> Circle things of death in the computer <laughs> yeah. industry. Oh, I was thinking that Red Ring of Death sounded a bit like a Japanese horror film or, or like horror <laughs> yeah. thing. So. Well, this story was quite horrific for uh, the Microsoft engineer that was ultimately seen as responsible for it. We, we found an article online um, where he revealed that it was a sickening, just a terrible experience for him. And they didn't seem to know what to do about it when when it came down to it yeah it it does seem like though i mean i wonder with all these things i mean there must have been there must have been engineers and people warning them about you know look um we're cutting too much cost here there's a risk of this happening here i mean for as you were saying that the thermal paste which is which is basically painted on top of chips to help dissipate the heat that it, it seemed very cheap what you found there? Well, it, it wasn't the best quality thermal paste, mm-hmm. and and when we did open up, it was it was all like brittle and like falling apart. Like, uh, but yeah, it was still really gummy and sticky. That meant that I was scrubbing scrubbing the chips for ages just to try and get uh, enough of that the thermal paste on and make make the the surfaces a lot smoother. And um, uh, m- more. Um the person who designed this problem, Peter Moore, uh, said that at one point he realized as he was doing research that this could be a billion dollar problem for Microsoft. They were starting to get flooded with defective devices and uh, it was out of control completely. And it looks like they did make um, improvements in further designs of the Xbox though, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the current generation of Xbox, they um, I, I saw a video of the, the other day where where they open uh, an Xbox uh, One and a PS4 and uh, they compare the size of the fans inside it and the Xbox One has got a massive fan in it now. They've they've put a massive heat sink on all the processors, a massive fan in, inside it just to make sure that this thing doesn't happen again, this, this overheating problem. I was kind of interested, you know, when reading that about Microsoft to, that the... Um, the guy in charge at the time of the Xbox said it was a sickening experience um, and that so many people were affected by it. And I, I, someone mentioned on our Facebook page that there was a class action lawsuit. Um, I do wonder, you know, like, how is it that the brand isn't affected by it? You know, we were talking about this, like, how is it that, okay, so they just put a gigantic fan in the next one and everyone's everyone's forgotten about it. But I guess gamers are very attached to their system, to the games that come with their system. So there's slightly different loyalties there with, with gaming systems. Yeah, it, it looks like the, the power of gaming is bigger than the power of a defective product to detract you from buying the next generation it's well and even i mean you're uh the, the the person who came along with that device i mean he spent three hours he was really keen he yeah. really wanted to fix the device. yeah he, he was he was really keen and, and he even went out and bought uh um some some equipment that we can use like a new thermal paste a, a good higher quality thermal paste um and he bought a couple more heat sinks to put on some of the other chips that were uh in in the xbox but didn't didn't actually have chi- have heat sinks on them so so just taking additional steps to to help prevent and uh reduce the risk of of the problem coming 
coming up again. Yeah, so it kind of that, that reminds me a little bit of like um, modding, or you know how people uh, like they they make their a lot of gamers do this. They they kind of um, increase the um, ability of their system to to process faster, to deal with more heat. Um, it's there's something in common with car cultures, I think. Like, yeah, modding and improving. So ultimately, the Xbox that left the restart party on Saturday. It's actually better performing than any average Xbox in yeah. the market. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, because we we yeah we replaced the thermal paste with better quality one and uh, additional cooling on on some of the other chips. Uh, yeah. And you were saying that iFixit, uh, is, which is a business that's quite we're quite um, friendly with because they sell all kinds of parts and tools, and they're big proponents of repair. Obviously, they have a kit right for people. So where they where they sell. All of this, yeah, all, uh, the whole load, load of different things. It comes with additional heat sinks. Uh, it comes with a special tool that that was useful in helping uh, to open the, the plastic case of the Xbox. Um, and it comes with like additional thermal pads, like loads, loads of things. And it and it accompanies the guide that they have. But it's a much better approach to just trying to solve this this problem and keep it at rest. That's interesting. <clears throat> so this $1 billion problem, it sounds like other people got a, pe- got a piece of that billion dollars. In other words, <laughs> that there were other people that came in and learned how to profit off of this problem. One example is someone by the name of Steve Waite, uh, who commented on um, the piece that we shared online and said that he fixed hundreds of these and he used to do it as an eBay business at the time when the Xbox were so popular, that model of Xbox. Mm. And it really shows in a way how a decentralized system of repair can indeed be part of the solution when things go wrong at that scale. Yeah. And actually, speaking of this type of um, repair businesses that are not traditional brick and mortar ones, we are progressively mining and finding new information about what is ultimately a really fascinating world um, where lots of not so common devices seem to be fixed in an informal or formal way by people who open online shops of on eBay or on other platforms and trying to tackle this issue. And it's fascinating because at times, such platforms are more known for selling parts and not really services. And, um, for example, we, we've seen at a previous event, uh, for us, if I'm not wrong, you took apart a, a Kindle device yeah. that we were desperately trying to find uh, a spare part for. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, uh, to, to find out what the name of the spare part is, the, the actual um, part number, we we had to take take apart the Kindle and, and have a look at what the the e it was a e ink display that was that was actually broken, and we we got as far as as finding what what the actual code was. There's a, there's a whole bunch of numbers. It's not really easy to actually figure out which one is the part number, but just searching them um, searching them through eBay or, or Google, uh, we eventually did find out what the part is. But it actually turned out at the end that there's a, there's a service on eBay which which is able to do your repair for cheaper than it is to cost the cost of the part. This was a fascinating story. First of all, we looked at the device and uh, it was uh, just a minor mark on the screen. And because of electronic ink, if there is a small mark, the whole of the screen stops working. And uh, it just the person loved their device and were very happy to try and have a go at repairing it. And 
but they couldn't find the spare part anywhere. And even when we got the part number, we couldn't find anyone selling it on eBay. And uh, it turned out that only one shop somewhere in China on Alibaba had that part. But suspiciously, or perhaps uh, incredibly, someone seemed to have stocked a bunch of those parts in one single eBay shop, and they provide a service. That's interesting, because, yeah, you'd think that we were talking about this, does eBay object to services being marketed on the platform? But in that case, it seems as though this, many of these services, people are providing a spare part, and the service is maybe like an extra on top of it. Um, it's, it sounded like this, um, this business would, was probably taking screens from, from faulty Kindles, well, I and mean, we just don't know. That's the fascinating <laughs> part, that no one seems to know. Um, you would have expected that someone like Amazon, uh, when they sell you the product, then if you get back to them, they can also provide that service, but they don't seem to provide that service beyond the warranty period. Well, I know that we generally say that a Kindle with a smash screen is kind of like a write-off because uh, we knew that Amazon takes them back, but just gives new devices out, or at a certain point, if it was in warranty, or I don't know, they had some way of dealing with it, which was essentially just giving a new device. Yeah, and probably they were reusing some of the parts in the back, but we never know when, because companies don't really release information about the, how they operate in that respect. But in this case, it's phenomenal how the lack of transparency creates opportunities for someone who somehow manages to get hold of a bunch of parts and, in a sense, uh, keeps their secret so that they can create a good service. But if the service is good and cheaper than pro procuring your part, all the better. Mm -hmm. So what other repairs are available on eBay? That begs the question, what else can I send to some mysterious eBay seller to get fixed? Uh, it seems to be all kinds of different things, but I, I've found over and over again um, occurrences of video cards failing on computers, both desktop and laptops, and there's a, a long history of these things happening over and over again. And different people provide services such as reballing or reflowing, which is the commercial version of putting in a safe way, hopefully, a video card in an oven and dissolving some of the bad solder that was used for contacts and just cleaning it up, right, for us? Yeah, it sort of remelts the solder that's in underneath the processor. Uh, just to just to make a new solid connection. Sometimes this, the the solar might be cracked in certain places, which would break that connection. And it's just reboiling sort of makes it all stick together again. So you found that there's actually a category on eBay that that's just reballing. Yes, and it, it it would seem to imply that because they're categorizing them that way, so they're quite aware, and clearly they don't seem to have a problem with people finding all these services. And there's people just saying, well, why don't you send me your laptop and uh, we'll run some tests and see if we can fix it great. Otherwise, we'll just send it back to you and you pay just a one-off fee. So it, it might be that it's part of uh, the future of repairing. We don't know. But since from the ratings that people give, we never know how genuine these ratings are. But when the feedback is positive, it seems to be something worth trying. Hmm. And, um, well, there's more to it, absolutely, not just uh, screens. I mean, there's Kindles we saw and uh, mobile phones and mm. all kinds of other things. So it looks like it's an opportunity to, to take care of devices that are not that common.
you're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and we're talking about electronics as usual. And um, well, today we're focusing on repair and perhaps the future of repair. We read an interesting article this week on the BBC website about the flourishing of the repair movement in New York. And uh, to an extent, we've read similar articles about other places in the world, but this was a bit interesting because it showed not just the community aspect, but also a wider perspective on repair as a business. Yeah, I'd heard of the pop-up repair uh, business from from our friend Vincent at the Fixers Collective, um, but I never caught them in action. I, I believe they... They come in either a van or they kind of have a, a market type presence. They pop up and they, yeah, they, they fix things. Uh, they have a, a table of prices, from what I understand. So you bring your lamp and it, it's already, they'll tell you how much you pay for the repair. It happens on the spot. So in some ways, it's really similar to what we do, but um, there's a charge attached to each repair. Um, and it's, I think it's slightly more of a service, although I do get the feeling that they have a, their vocation is also to teach people and to show them repair as possible. I think originally it started as a research experiment from a theater department, uh, uh, or anyway, an arts with a, with people from from an arts background, and uh, apparently it's thriving and growing more and more. And the fact that people pay, uh, while it's a different model from ours, is really raises the issue of you know how can we support repairs to continue operate and to reduce their barriers to accessing repair options. We've popped up in markets before, um, and it's we've got we got invites to Hearn Hill and Brixton Market, and those are those have been really good, and especially also just in terms of the foot traffic and getting people thinking about repair. I think it's a really important marketing uh, way of marketing. It seems, and in fact, it's almost like the opposite of what we're talking about on eBay. So the stuff on eBay is like for when you you have a very specialist repair, you know, someone has figured out there's an economy there, and they're doing it a bit under the radar. And what we're talking about here is like, you know, bring out your dead, your favorite lamps, table lamps, you know, and, and people see it. Repair becomes something quite public and it's important. Yeah. Also, there is an element of having uh, the skills to do some of the initial troubleshooting, which can point you to the right eBay store or whatever that can do that specific repair. But often people just don't know or don't have a way to know um, what went wrong. And uh, we've been talking many times about the importance of having diagnostic tools that could help people figure out what went wrong in the design of the product, right? Yeah, so like, it's, it's quite tricky to figure out how it, how it would actually work where, where your devices would speak back to you or the server or telling you exactly what is ro actually wrong with it. But they, they maybe maybe not so far future, we might see devices having, having these things built into them uh, manufacturers thinking about that and 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 giving information to to the user uh, on where to find broken parts, uh, I mean, the the parts to repair, or like a service which which helps repair particular parts of of the device that you own, or even just more feedback about what's failed. I mean, it just seems like we were talking about this, you know. Um, 
it's more feedback before something fails, uh, before a part fails, before a motor overheats or whatever. Yeah. And then feedback when it has failed. Um, it used to be part of design of, of, I mean, this is the thing. It used to be part of design of, of, of some appliances and gadgets, this kind of this notion that there should be some feedback. But um, in the meantime, it does seem like there's this massive long tail. There's like this. So the devices we're talking about that are getting fixed on eBay, there's that. And then there's this long tail of, of lamps, appliances, things that... Um, that don't necessarily have a big brand name. People don't really know where to take them, and and this kind of pop up repair um, is a is a pretty good it's a good idea to kind of deal with that. Now we we find as we end up declaring a lot of stuff on that long tail dead because um, or end of life because of the cost the sheer cost of spare parts. And I wonder kind of how they deal with that on yeah. the spot um, when yeah. they're charging. And, you know, there's definitely some people that while they might appreciate that repair is public, they might not be prepared to take an active role and wanting to learn about repair. And they might be quite happy with someone else taking lead uh, in front of them. And so the fact that it's public and they pay a fee is just an extra reassurance that people are doing the right thing. And uh, it is a service and it's great that someone gets paid for it. So... It seems to me that both models, the kind of under the radar, you know, interesting um, online repair and then the pop-up repair suffer from maybe some of the same thing, which is like liability issues. So how do we, you know, how, how does one guarantee a repair and build that trust around the device, especially when we're talking about mains devices? Um, this is just a really big issue. There's no getting around it. Um, there may be some argument that smaller scale repairs should should you know should actually really get together and invest and look at this issue of liability more carefully um definitely and when we started looking at the range of repair options available in a big city like london we we struggle at times to find uh, uh companies or repairs that we can recommend and we started looking at what could be the factors that can influence building trust and so we started looking at whether companies have any policy or mention of whether they provide a warranty for example for for a repair and we've seen approaches that are widely different in that respect it seems like the bigger players are able again to provide a, a longer warranty and that you know providing warranty for a small business or a micro business could be could be a killer in some way um, and that smaller businesses also have to charge um, they, because of the variation in what they're seeing, they'll have to charge a fee, a diagnostic fee that bigger companies may be able to absorb. It's it's really tough for them. It's interesting, particularly because everyone gets so excited about smartphone repairs because everyone always talks way too much about their smartphones. But actually, if you look at the wide range of other things that do fail, it's much harder to justify a normal brick and mortar economy for for all of these things. And uh, you're right all the different things that can go wrong and maybe further faults developing particularly for older devices might make provision of a warranty um, very very complex not to mention the quality of spare parts we've seen again lots of uncertainty about whether a part is the same high quality standard and the original for example We've also, I mean, we, Raz, you may remember, we put it to the community of our volunteers. You know, would people be interested in creating a, a cooperative where, you know, we could refer house calls and more complex jobs and where, um, where restarters could earn a little extra money instead of doing it for free in public, which we do. But it does, it did raise all of these questions about how do you get organized, about how do you guarantee repair? 
you know. Have you had to ever? Have you do you do you ever charge friends or family for repairs? And then do you provide a warranty, for example? Um, I can't think of an occasion where I've where I've uh, done some repair. Uh, yeah, for family family members, I'd I'd do it for free, and I've I've replaced my sister's like screen on on a, on a one of her phones. I guess there's a warranty for, for life there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, apart from that, I haven't. It's it's. Uh, I I think they they understand it's uh if I can do something to help I will but um if not then it but it really changes yeah. it for you like if you were to accept money for a repair it does probably change the equation for you doesn't it Yeah yeah you you're you're more than obliged to to try and make sure that that thing's working no matter what sort of thing and, and sometimes last. it's yeah and sometimes it's it's tricky to to actually guarantee that with some repairs yeah yeah, and not to mention also other problems that people face with commercial repairs, the fact that often there is uncertainty about the whole process and not really a clear understanding of all the pricing involved. I mean, if you were to charge for something, okay, people would know how much you're charging, but at times further problems develop and people go back to a shop and they collect a device. We heard like a horrifying story of someone with a mobile phone that collected a phone that was in worse shape than it was originally. Well, we've seen loads mm. of those, actually, yeah. And not even a receipt was provided for the job, so the person couldn't go back and ask for uh, an improvement. And yeah. just there's a lot of uh, lack of transparency, which is really a big deal. So, and we're working on so a couple of principles that people can look for when when looking for a commercial repair. Um, but even we, you know, we had thought about okay, should we get in the business of maybe certifying or you know, providing some uh, you know more more structured way of, of building trust? But I, even for uh, we would we would struggle, and I think um, many people would struggle to to actually to. To make sure that's a quality thing, and to look, you know, to look out constantly, being updating that, and you know, certification is a massive, massive undertaking. I mean, I think we'd have to create another organization for that or business, especially at a time when there's more and more uh, fake bots leaving re reviews uh, on all kinds of platforms. You know, it's hard to swim through what's real information and what's uh, fake reviews being left. So that mm. that's quite a problem uh, right there. You've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, we have lots of restart parties happening in London and elsewhere um, this coming weekend. Saturday will be a massive day of restarting. Uh, in London, we have an event in Hackney coming up. Uh, from the Hackney Fixers. And I believe there are four different events happening out of London, one in Oxford, one in Leicester, one in Oldham, Manchester, and one in Milan. So I think it's the highest density of restarting yeah. we've seen in a long time. And you can find more information about all of this on our website, therestartproject.org, or on social media at 
Restart Project, uh, both Twitter and Facebook. It's been great to have you all. And uh, one final thanks to Faraz, who contributed with Optonoise yeah. uh, to our... Thanks thanks a lot for using our, our track. Uh, I really like the, the new remix version. We're very excited of the work that you guys have done uh, together with Cassini Sound in uh, coming up with a excellent mix. So thanks again, and uh, till next week.